The FAA expands a key privacy initiative available to business aviation operators. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan, brought to you by Varion. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, or ADSB, has increased the efficiency and safety of our national airspace system, or NAS. But it comes with a potential downside as well. Not only does ADSB transmit an aircraft's GPS location, altitude, ground speed, and other information to ATC and other aircraft, that data, including an aircraft's tail number, is also available to anyone with an ADSB receiver, and those aren't difficult to get. That raises key privacy concerns for operators who, for any number of reasons, wish to keep their aircraft movements out of the public domain. A few years ago, the FAA answered those concerns with the Privacy International Civil Aviation Organization Address Program, PIA or PIA. With more, here's Jamal Wilson with FAA Surveillance Services and the agency's project lead on PIA. The NAS is an open architecture construct, and as such, uh, ADSB as a surveillance system is open architecture as well. So what that essentially means is that as your aircraft is broadcasting information, anybody with a appropriately rated receiver can pick up that information from your aircraft. So what the FAA in conjunction with industry did was establish this PIA or Privacy IKO Address Program. And what that essentially does is it allows interested operators to apply for an anonymized IKO address. And the reason why this is important is because that address, as your aircraft broadcasts it, does not track back to you in the civil aircraft registry. It does track back to FAA surveillance and broadcast services. So what that does is when people try and see what information is being broadcast for the purpose of connecting that information to an individual, it does not track back to that individual in the car. It tracks back to FAA. And that just helps to anonymize real-time operations and make it difficult for folks to track individuals real-time. The uh, PIA program to me fits within a set of layers of security. Jens Hennig is Vice President of Operations for the General Aviation Manufacturers Association, or GAMA. While it's a privacy program, the foundation of both this program and many of the other ones is the real-time security of the operation. The interest we see from customers of our members' aircraft is to have a set of layers of security that just enables them to fly private and therefore more secure. So PIA, it's, it's a component and really one of the cornerstones that's now been in place for about four going on five years. If you use it correctly, it helps mitigate that ability to track the aircraft in the in real time. But the important part is that it's also done with the other layers, such as the use of a third-party call sign. You, know, you may want to look at how you own and operate the aircraft and even how the primary registration of your aircraft is put into place. So re- really a, a good solid step forward to address the ability to track an aircraft's identity. Also with me today is Heidi Williams, NBAA's Senior Director of Air Traffic Services and Infrastructure. Jens nailed it, right? That the layered approach is what it takes to ultimately get to a point where we can we can secure privacy. But 
I think it's worthy of noting that there are many reasons by which folks want to anonymize their movements. And many of those folks have a genuine security need, which is why the FA moved to implement PIA as ADSB out was mandated. It is important. It's a layered process. There isn't one magic bullet that works, but the layered process does help add additional security to help anonymize those movements. Rounding out our panel today is Jim McClay, Director for Airspace, Air Traffic, and Security with AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. There's a genuine need for privacy uh, for, for a number of different reasons. We've, as an association, seen over the last couple of years an increase in public entities, even sometimes municipalities, that are, are, are getting their hands on ADSB tracking information for aircraft and are, in essence, harassing certain pilots. And it's, it's become a problem. And so we are very glad that the PIA program is there. We're glad that FAA is interested in continuing to make improvements to it and expand it because, yeah, there, there absolutely are legitimate needs and reasons for it to be there. Jamal, the FAA recently expanded PIA to several new areas. Where was the program available initially and where is PIA available now? When we first instituted the program, we had to maintain it within the bounds of sovereign U.S. airspace. So as everybody kind of looks at their aeronautical maps and you see the, the boundary that extends out 12 nautical miles from the shore, um, both the west and the east coast and then down south of the Gulf of Mexico, and the program was bounded within that. So essentially just domestic U.S. airspace, and that includes over Hawaii and Alaska as well. But the overwater operations, the stuff that went out past 12 nautical miles, at the beginning of the program, that was considered as off limits. So to answer the second half of your question, after quite a bit of time of consultation, both with our internal to FAA international partners and International Civil Aviation Organization, we were able to successfully implement the expansion of the program. And what that does is allow folks to operate over water outside of the 12 nautical mile boundary and participate in overwater operations from one U.S. location to another. So what that does is allow, for example, if somebody wanted to operate from Boston to Miami and not have to hug the coastline to optimize their their routing, uh, they can do so over water in a flight information region over the Atlantic. But that information region is controlled by American controllers. And so that offers flexibility for folks on the West Coast if they want to go from California to Hawaii, let's say. That information region is controlled by American controllers. So that allows you the flexibility to run that U.S. location to another U.S. location, but over an oceanic information region that we control. So it really does lend itself to a lot more flexibility. Indeed, that really does open up airspace where operators can fly with their off-aircraft data shielded. I know that's a huge concern for NBAA members as well, Heidi. We're really excited about this expansion because our members have been asking for those overwater routes. Any given day in the NAS, in the airspace system, we see a utilization of alternative routing. And, you know, many days, one of the examples you used was from Boston to Miami. We have constraints that might impact operations up and down the East Coast. And, and as we see weather come in or we see things like other operations in the NAS that might close airspace, often those 
over water routes are identified as alternatives, good alternatives that our members could take advantage of, but those that might have already been implementing or using PIA program would not be able to exercise the, the benefits of PIA if they wanted to use an alternative route over water. This allows them to continue to exercise the privileges of PIA while also utilizing a route that, that might save them time or is more efficient or allows them to continue with their trip when they might have otherwise taken a delay. So a real benefit overall to both safety and efficiency in the NAS. Coming up, more information about the PIA expansion, how it works, and what operators can do if their privacy has been compromised. But first, a word from our sponsor. Take your aviation operations to new heights. Introducing Baryon, formerly known as ATP, your ultimate partner in achieving maximum aircraft uptime. At Baryon, we understand the challenges faced by everyone in aviation. Our industry-leading technology solutions revolutionize aircraft management, so there's no more waiting, no more wondering, and no more wasted effort. Get real-time visibility of your maintenance, inventory, operations, and regulatory data right at your fingertips with an easy-to-use system. Backed by a team of experts with deep aviation knowledge offering 24-7, 365 support. After 50 years in the business, we have built a growing reputation for getting our customers more aircraft uptime. That's why thousands of aircraft operators worldwide have already discovered the power of Varion. Say goodbye to downtime and hello to increased efficiency and profitability. Visit Varion.com to learn more. Varion, let's get you more uptime. We're back now with Jamal Wilson, Heidi Williams, Jim McClay, and Jens Hennig, and our conversation about the expansion of the Privacy ICAO Address, or PIA, program to include overwater routes. Jamal, the FAA also developed a second privacy initiative to assist operators with shielding their flight movements from prying eyes. Tell us about the LAD program. What's different about it, and how does it complement PIA? I know a lot of folks ask about that. So when you talk about LAD, uh, which is Limited Aircraft Data Display, what we essentially want to do here is cover two separate bundles of data transmission. So for what we call subscribers who are receiving data from the FAA's SWIM data feed, there are rules that a subscriber has to follow to be a recipient of that data. So LAD looks to block the information that is being sent out via that data stream to our data subscribers. But like I said before, ADSB is being broadcast once a second by your aircraft and anybody with the appropriate receiver can pick that up. So you have LAD taking care of privacy on the data subscriber side. PIA looks to anonymize operations for uh, the folks that are broadcasting and being picked up by anybody with a, a appropriate receiver. So you have these two things as ends alluded to before where we're talking about kind of a phalanx style approach to privacy. You have LAD taking care of subscriber data and PIA taking care of just open recipients of the data. Jim, I know a lot of AOPA members utilize these programs too. How should pilots sign up for PIA? The first thing that they're going to want to do is, is take a look at uh, FAA's website. The requirements and the process are all laid out there on FAA's site. But basically, the requirements are the aircraft has to be a U.S. registered aircraft. The aircraft has to be utilizing 1090 ADSB. The operator has to obtain a third-party call sign. That's uh, an important step, and it should be noted that 
while there's no cost to the PIA program itself, uh, there is a cost typically from the providers to obtain one of these third-party call signs. And those costs vary depending on, on which provider you go with. And then, as has already been mentioned, the operator has to fly within U.S.-managed flight formation regions. So we've already talked about that. The process itself to participate in PIA is you first have to get a paper. That's a public ADSB performance report for a flight in ADSB airspace in the prior 180 days. Then, via the FA website, you request participation in the, the PIA program. Then, thirdly, you go ahead and obtain and then provide proof of one of those third-party call signs that I just mentioned. And then you have to actually put the PIA information, uh, the assignment, into your ADSB equipment. And then the last step is within 30 days of doing all of that, you have to get another paper report once the PIA has been installed in your avionics, basically to demonstrate that everything is working as it should. We are fortunate on the PIA team to have a very, very responsive uh, customer service cadre. So even though we have on our website the steps spelled out quite clearly, at any time, if you require any assistance and you email the privacy help desk, our support staff will walk you through the process, help you with any of the uh, performance report issues. We've had applicants in the past who have had some transponder issues while going through the process. And our customer support was able to walk them through how to get that repaired and do so in an expeditious manner so that there was no undue delays in the assignment of their PIA. So I would just say to anybody that's listening, if they were you know, kind of on the fence or had questions about how to walk down the process that Jim just spoke about, just simply email our help desk and our folks will walk you through it and make it very, very easy. Glad to know the FAA is there to help, Jamal. Just to uh, build on what Jamal said, uh, first of all, the FA's work on this has been outstanding. Uh, the real-time support is outstanding. So re- real big thank you from the entire industry on this. Uh, what Jim and Jamal covered, you know, the, the angle on how to handle your transponder, uh, that is something that uh, a lot of the manufacturers have gotten questions about. Uh, the, when the program was starting to be scoped, again, it's not a new program necessarily. It's simply the deployment of an existing capability uh, and enabled for civil users. And that dialogue started back in 2015. One of the first exercises that the FA undertook was, can we simply do this with an ADSB enabled transponder or not? So that exercise was done with the avionics suppliers and a lot of the airframers to really look, can this be done in a, in a manner that is not necessarily easy, but at least straightforward and we can provide instructions for how it's handled. So in addition to the steps discussed earlier, uh, making sure that you engage with your OEM or your avionics supplier about how to handle the uh, change in the uh, ICAO address uh, more on a real-time basis than whenever you sell or re-register aircraft. That part is something new, and it's important that each operator that plans to use this program has a full understanding of Thanks for those added details, Jens. And it's worth highlighting again the collaboration between the industry and the FAA on addressing these privacy concerns. Heidi? All of the industry has been sitting at the table for these discussions. And it's it has been a very collaborative approach. So FAA has, has been at the table. They have talked to us for several years. And as Jamal pointed out earlier, 
they've been in discussions behind the scenes with many different entities, including IKO and, and other providers that that have allowed this expansion. So we just want to say a hearty thank you from industry that that you're listening and that you've been responsive. And I would gladly retort a thank you to industry because it is very, very helpful uh, for forward progress when you have an open line of communication uh, to organizations like NBA, like Gamma, like AOPA, to receive real-time, honest feedback, engage in constructive dialogue. And that really helped us to lean forward on the ICAO side of the house to get things done. And uh, without it, you know, we'd probably still be spinning wheels trying to figure out the best way for implementation. So uh, I will say across the board, Heidi, I accept your thanks on behalf of FAA. And I thank all of you as industry leads in helping us get this taken care of. And we'll continue to lean forward. Jamal, might we see PIA expand to other parts of our world at some point beyond U.S. flight information regions? It's a possibility. And, you know, Jens alluded to this a few minutes ago, where we have conversations as it relates to international operations. So not necessarily just the overwater stuff, but when it relates to international operations, there are a completely separate ball of issues that need to be tackled and tackled smartly as it relates to data exchange between one nation and another. Uh, You know, there's other things that pop up that need to be sorted out as it relates to one country's method of billing as opposed to another country's method of billing. And that's just to scratch the surface of things that need to be discussed, not necessarily just from an operational standpoint, but then you involve, you know, the legal aspect, the air traffic control aspect. There's just a lot of important things that need to be hashed out in a smart manner for that to materialize. To build on what Jamal said, the most active dialogue that I'm tracking is within the European Union. Uh, specifically, Eurocontrol has a surveillance working group that's been very active in trying to flesh out the considerations for deploying something similar to a private ICAO address program within uh, the European Union uh, air traffic management environment. They already have something somewhat similar to LAD in place. Now they need the other leg of the stool to, to deal with the data transmitted by the aircraft. One of the main challenges faced by Eurocontrol as a pan-European entity is that the great, to a great extent, every flight being conducted there by a business jet is going to be an international flight. And as Eurocontrol, they must ensure that those flights are conducted in a compliance with the, the ICAO annexes. So one of the items that are really a, a hold point for them before moving forward is can we get enough experience in the U.S. program that certain very narrow and targeted amendment could be done to the ICAO, specifically Annex 10, as I understand, to simply be able to turn on this type of a functionality within Europe? Right now, there is high levels of interest in securing flight operations within Europe. So there is momentum to move this forward. Some of the institutions are having a dialogue. They have flagged that they've heard from They've heard from Gamma, they've heard from MBA, they've heard from the European Business Aviation Association. But if there are individual European operators who can weigh in directly, they're really trying to get a a picture of the landscape of how many entities would be interested in taking advantage of this type of an operation within Europe as well. Many of our business aviation operations are global. And so that seamless approach to an operation is super critical. So I'm energized to hear the the update that Jens has shared and the interest from other ANSPs, uh, Air Navigation Service providers in exploring that additional layer of security. So I think it's it's a note of 
things that we all can work on together that get us one step closer to that seamless environment, whether it's domestic airspace or global operations. Jim, what are AOPA's members telling you about where they'd like to see PIA expanded to? AOPA members have a, a little bit of a different focus in terms of our, our areas of, of interest. The aircraft that we generally operate are, are shorter range, so we're not going to be necessarily operating out over oceanic airspace into places like Europe and, and Asia and other places. But we have heard from folks that they would be very interested in hearing about an expansion of PIA to Canada and Mexico and even to some of the, the Caribbean nations as well. Uh, those are the areas where we're generally going to see our members fly to. Because of the close proximity of these countries, it, it's almost like a domestic flight for them just because of the, the, the shorter distance involved. So it, it would be uh, really helpful for the, the program to be expanded. I, I can think specifically for Canada, there are scenarios where somebody's flying from point A in the United States to point B in the United States, but somewhere in between, they're crossing over Canadian airspace. Uh, so it would be very helpful to have an expansion of PIA that would maintain the continuity of, of PIA throughout the entire flight instead of losing it once they hit Canadian airspace. Jamal, what can operators do should they discover their data has been compromised, even under PIA? We've approached this on two separate levels. So we updated our Federal Register notice quite recently and essentially shrunk the number of days that an individual would have to wait from receiving one PIA assignment to requesting another. But to go one step further than that, we've advertised quite clearly and openly that we understand the dynamic nature of the NAS. We understand that you are never quite sure when you may be compromised, uh, whether by data feed from somebody with a receiver to somebody making visual kind of contact with an aircraft's tail number and then correlating as we've seen at some of these FBOs. So what we said in that instance is don't even worry about a specific length of time. If you feel as though you're compromised, then you email us at our help desk and we will get you squared away with another PIA address within a day or two. I've typically, unless it comes on a weekend, I've typically not seen it take more than a day to get somebody squared away with another PIA in the event they feel they've been compromised. So we say that, you know, there's the there's what's in the book in terms of the Federal Register notice approach and the number of days. And then there is the dynamic aspect where we can do that quite quickly for somebody. I would just add to what Jamal said. I mean, yes, there there's the Federal Register notice, but but there is collaboration in action. Right. I I go back to our base convention in, in 2022 where Jamal, you we actually talked about this on a panel where you all recognized that that 60-day limitation to turn around another code probably was not meeting in the needs and you were hearing from from operators and and FA was responsive and what what you shared even then was hey when when you need to reach out and talk to us and you've had a, a breach or something has happened that you're in need of another code you all were responsive even even then. So again, just one more example of where working together day to day has made a difference and FAA's agility has certainly increased in terms of, of their receptiveness to hearing that input from users and responding and taking action. How should operators remain vigilant to detecting when their aircraft data might be compromised, Jamal? Nowadays, you've got social media platforms uh, dedicated solely to the tracking of aircraft. You've got not necessarily paparazzi, but folks that are just doing airplane spotting and how they deliver that information, it just varies. So 
I would say one aspect is just to kind of keep your eye on avenues where you know uh, that folks are solely in existence to compromise aircraft data. I mean, we, we have heard examples where information has been compromised, whether that is information that's being shared real time and and maybe their their PIA code is has only been used a short period of time, but due to plane spotters or other things, they feel they've been compromised. And and we have heard examples of that certainly from where information has been publicized about movements. I think that's a that's a pretty good example of where, you know, they've been compromised, need a new new ICAO code. It is tough. Uh, I'm not going to mince words. It, it's difficult when you have onlookers at an airport who can look at a tail number and watch that aircraft take off just from being at the airport. Indeed. And I'll admit, I often check out commercial flight tracking sites, too, when I see a plane overhead. Jim? The disturbing trend that we've seen recently is some of the municipal governments, city and, and county governments that are trying to latch on to ADSB data uh, as a mechanism for enforcement of voluntary noise curfews, for example, things like that, and then are coming after pilots, you know, finding their, their information and contacting them at their homes and things like that. So it's, that's really disturbing. And um, that's the, the kind of thing where pilots certainly need to be on the lookout within their various communities uh, to ensure that uh, their information isn't, isn't getting out there when they don't want it to be out there. Jens? There are about a dozen different things you can do to obfuscate your operation. One of the challenges to obfuscating your operation is that uh, over the airwaves, uh, ICAO address being transmitted from your transponder. But when you have that first breach, uh, I would encourage the operator, what, what cost it? Is it how the aircraft is owned? Could it be a, something as simple as, as the paint job, which is sometimes identifying there are many other things you can look at. Uh, if you get a new PI, it's a scenario that the code again is identified. But this is a risk mitigation game that each operator has to engage in and have an active process for it. So understanding what caused it on the first flight it happens and determine if that is something you can mitigate further on future flights. That's that's a core component to really enabling the success for this. And again, the feedback I, I get from many operators, you know, is this is working really, really well, but it's not a single silver bullet. I get a PIA address and I'm good to go. It's that active use of the program consideration when you use the program, plus many other components tied to your flight operation that you'd also look at. Just to piggyback off of what Jens is saying is that adhering to the steps in the program is also important in trying to help mitigate that compromise. And I say that because we have seen instances where Everything will be done correctly. The PIA code will be installed correctly on the transponder. A third-party call sign will be procured. But then in the midst of operations, people will revert to their normal call sign, especially if it's one of the unique call sign. And ATC might pick up on it and know uh, who's on board and how to handle them in an expedited manner. And that immediately gives up your PIA data because there's the there's two broadcasts for your airplane. There's the electronic communication, and then there's your radio communication. So if one compromises the other, you're on the radio using your original call sign, and your aircraft is broadcasting PIA, you've just made the correlation for a potential nefarious actor. So one of the things that we try to remind people of is to adhere to the steps in the program. This situation continues to evolve, and we'll be sure to keep track of all the latest developments. 
For more information about PIA, LAD, and other matters affecting operator privacy, visit nbaa.org forward slash privacy. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Uh, we got him inside. We're still in effect 170.